the first step that you take is is very important because it starts to lead you down a road that you can't start over again a lot. What would you do all over again and why? I'm Natalie Carpenter, women's health and fertility advocate, dot connector, and former corporate brand warrior. Each week, join me in candid conversation with an inspiring public figure who boldly shares their real-life stories of adversity, impact, and what they did next, and if they would do it all over again, knowing what they know now. Welcome to the All Over Again podcast. Jamil Neuwirth was given 17 months to live when he was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer, a glioblastoma multiforme brain tumor at the age of 32. 10 years later, after surviving brain cancer and pivoting his career from media, Jamil is a practicing attorney and oversees a successful Hawaii-based nonprofit called UVSC, U versus Cancer and Us versus Cancer, that helps families with their cancer-related medical costs. Jamil shared that prior to his diagnosis of terminal brain cancer, he had no idea how expensive it would be to fight cancer and how critical it is to have both hope and financial support. Given the opportunity to do it all over again, Jamil would spend the time and effort to start his nonprofit UVSC, supporting others with brain cancer, once again. Hi, Jamil. Welcome to All Over Again podcast. I'm so excited to see you again. Yeah, thanks, Natalie, for having me. I appreciate it. So shall we jump right in? Going back, Jamil, what was the first thing that went through your mind when you found out that you had a glioblastoma multiforme brain tumor? Initial feeling was pretty much just complete shock because I was young. I was 32. I just finished law school. I was studying for the bar exam. I ate healthier than most people. I was fit. I exercised a lot. And I had no idea what a GVM glioblastoma tumor even was. And then I quickly learned thereafter. What are the chances that a 32-year-old would have a GVM? I don't know what the chances are, but I don't think they know what causes it or have a cure for it yet. So I don't know. I just know that it was definitely shocking to me. And um, I couldn't believe it. I didn't didn't even know what it was until I did some research and talked to the doctors about it. And once you did that research, what were you thinking? The chances of survival were 5% to five years or less. The statistics were almost 100% fatal. So I was, yeah, obviously depressed initially and finally decided I'm not going to let the statistics dictate what I do. And now I was going to fight. There was time that I've thought about giving up and quickly got myself together and said, no, I'm going to try and fight it. You went to one of the best neurologists or neurosurgeons and or neurosurgeons in the country. What did you find out and what did you do next? Well, I got lucky leading up to that. I I just finished law school at University of Hawaii and I experienced you know, all this pain and I ended up getting an appointment with the best neurosurgeon in Hawaii, but they didn't feel comfortable doing the surgery. So I went to one of the top five ranked neurosurgeons at the University of Washington who, you know, delivered me the news that I, you know, shouldn't even do the surgery and that I only had 17 months to live. So I said, okay, I'm going to get out of here. And then I went to the number one ranked neurosurgeon at San Francisco. 
he was comfortable doing the surgery and I was comfortable with him doing the surgery, but he didn't have a clinical trial that he was offering at the time. And uh, I had been doing some research and just found out about this clinical trial that I thought sounded promising um, at UCLA, but happened to be that the UCLA neurosurgeon was on vacation in Hawaii and I had emergency circumstances that required me to get surgery that week. So San Francisco pushed up my surgery from, I was like a Tuesday and the surgery was going to be Friday. And I was trying to get in touch with the UCLA doctor. And then finally, literally 10 minutes before San Francisco neurosurgeon was going to wheel me down for surgery, he had already barked me for surgery and everything. The UCLA doctor called and said she'd come back early from her vacation to do my surgery. So the San Francisco doctor just pumped me with a bunch of drugs and we couldn't fly. So we drove down to uh, UCLA and I ended up getting into the clinical trial with her. And yeah, she is definitely one of the best neurosurgeons. She's an MD, a PhD, and an oncologist. She doesn't practice oncology. So she does the research to create the experimental trials. She does the surgeries. And obviously, it's been great for me. Her name's Dr. Linda Liao. And then my oncologist at UCLA is one of the best oncologists in the country named Dr. Klausi. And they both worked on a, a experimental immunovaccine trial called DCVAX that basically st stimulates your immune system to fight the remaining tumor because you can't extract all the tumor or you might you know, be paralyzed or lose your vision or your, or your ability to talk. And it's been the best, I feel the best choice I've ever made in my life. And that vaccine, is that the same vaccine that they were doing the clinical trials at Dana-Farber and also, I think, some university out of Tijuana? Does that sound right? Or is that something different? Yeah, it's the DCVAX, Dendrix Cell DCVAX trial. And it's offered at multiple sites, but it was developed by my doctor at UCLA. And, and I was going through phase three trial when I was in it. And Right now, is trying to submit for FDA approval, but it's taking a lot longer than anticipated. It always does. And so I'm just curious because I was doing a lot of research to this end too when my father was diagnosed last year. And I remember there was this vaccine that basically is a, it's a personalized vaccine. It's created almost individually for each person. Was this the same vaccine? Yeah, they do the tumor removal surgery and then they got to save enough tumor and then at subsequent visits they would extract white blood cells and mix it with a little bit of the tumor they're saving and then inject it back into you to stimulate your immune system to fight the remaining tumor because the gbm or glioblastoma has you know like a hundred percent reoccurrence rate so and you can't remove all the tumor because it's attached to the brain so if you cut too close they could you know you couldn't move or see or talk or whatever the consequences may be. Yeah, so it is a personalized vaccine, yes. And you're a, a living, breathing, walking miracle. I guess that's what some people say. It's been 10 years. Yeah, it's been 10 years. Wow. It'll be 11 years in August. How are you celebrating, Jamil? I'm going to go to Portugal, maybe. Nice. That sounds exciting. Yeah, my mom just bought a place in Portugal, so I've never been to Portugal. Oh, that's awesome. I've heard great things too. It's on my list. Maybe I'll invite myself. Yeah, you can go and stay anytime <laughs> you want. I'm sure your mom would think that was very strange. I'm just going to show up and say hi. So what's lighting you up right now? I think the thing that's lighting me up 
continuously since I started is the charity. I'm very inspired by it. And because all the people that supported me, obviously, I kind of go and repay everyone. But now it allows me to take that and pay it forward. And um, it's very, gives me a lot of purpose. And I really enjoy doing it. And it's, you know, very impactful on those in our community. And it continues to light me up. So I continue to put in the extra effort to that on top of all my law work that I need to have for uh, to live, make a living. So it's a lot of work, but I'm very happy to have a, that executive director come on board in a couple of months and even grow up more. So that's lighting me up. And we're planning a, a cakey spearfishing event here in August as a fundraiser for our first beneficiary that really inspired, helped inspire the foundation. His name was Trucker Dukes. And he was a three-year-old here on Maui whose dad was a firefighter and he got diagnosed with neuroblastoma had to go to New York for treatment at Sloan Kettering. Unfortunately, the cancer for him metastasized, and he ended up passing away at three years old. But prior to that, he was inducted as a New York, honorary New York firefighter by the whole entire New York fire department. And he gained worldwide, you know, support and all this stuff. So we had, we had always done the a Chucker Dukes run in honor of him and to, as an event. Um, the area where we did the run had recently become a little bit overrun with homelessness. Um, so we pivoted and we're doing the first annual Trucker Dukes Kiki spearfishing event. So they'll, they'll go out with an adult and they'll spearfish for an invasive species here on Maui and the North Shore. And so it'll both help el- eliminate invasive species, be a fundraiser, and then honor Chucker Deuce and his little life that had big impact on a lot of people. Sounds like it's it was a huge impact. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm still friends with the family. I see them, you know, weekly. They have three other amazing kids that are all spearfishing too. So those are all the benefits of what came about everything. And I love that all of you continue to honor Trucker's name all of the time. And that's really beautiful. Let's talk about what you would do or not do all over again, knowing what you know now? Well, I'd probably do it all over again because now that I'm on the other side, I feel, you know, accomplished. It was, while it was all extremely difficult, it kind of ruins you mentally, physically, and financially. I was able to pass the bar exam the next year, so I felt like I'd overcome the mental side of it. And then a few years later after that, I did the Honolulu Marathon, so I kind of felt like I overcame the physical impacts of it. And then now the financial ruin was great. And now, you know, almost 11 years later, I'm feeling like I'm finally getting back to where I want to be financially. So it's, you know, it impacted all facets of my life. But a lot of good came from it. I met the UCLA doctor, a lot of people at events related to UCLA that I really admire. and like to consider friends. Um, I started a nonprofit that helps other people right now just in the Hawaii community by surrounding them with hope and then providing some financial relief so they can do the treatments that they need to do. And I almost feel invincible, I guess. So even though it was very difficult, you know, with just the physical, the chemo, the body aches, the throwing up, the seizures, the lack of sleep and everything, I feel like I can almost overcome anything now. That sounds incredible. So 
How do you live your life differently? I think I pretty much utilize every minute of my life now doing all everything I can so I don't waste time. And also having to catch up on you know, the last 10 years focusing on only staying alive versus you know, thriving. So I, right now I, I run that nonprofit we started. You know, my law practice is very busy. I live in Maui, so I like to go surfing and do all the outdoor activities, whether it's pickleball or golfing or tennis, mostly surfing and pickleball. But I feel like I live a very active life where every minute is, I try not to waste a minute. Well, I'm so glad that you're here and that we're having this conversation now. So let's talk a little bit about your nonprofit, UVSC. It's UVSC, which stands for you versus cancer or us versus cancer. Because, you know, after I was diagnosed, the Hawaii community really, there was two things that I think really helped me. One, the Hawaii community really came together and did fundraisers and provide a lot of hope and support as I've tried to fight it. But then also, you know, my doctors at UCLA, you know, really inspired me because they're basically saving people every day. And I couldn't become a doctor at that point. So the mission of UVSC, the primary mission is to help individuals with their, our families with their cancer-related medical bills. So the community comes together to give the finances and thereby give them some support, but it also, more importantly, gives them hope from that support, I think, to keep fighting. And then the secondary mission is to support cutting-edge research to help find a cure. And so that's how we can now help the UCLA research and my doctor try to help find a cure. So it's going full circle. Your doctor helped you and now you're helping them. I can finally help them. I, I couldn't give so much financial support while I was still actively under treatment because it was like self-dealing. But now that I'm only getting MRIs there and not part of that clinical trial, we can do a fundraiser to provide her some support for her uh, research. Incredible. You had mentioned that UVSC helps individuals with almost gr like grant-like financial support? It's more any cancer-related medical costs. So here on Maui, for instance, there's no place for kids diagnosed to get treated. So they have to fly to Oahu. Honolulu is the only pediatric center in the state. So if our beneficiary is a young child, the family probably one of the parents have to quit work and take on a full-time job as a caregiver and they got to fly to Oahu. And during COVID, for instance, we had a child beneficiary and they had to stay on Oahu for their treatment. They couldn't fly back and forth. And so one of the parents had to go with them, obviously. So we helped with their housing costs for a couple of months while they were there and some of the flights and could be anything from, you know, medical co-pays to some alternative treatments and any, and travel costs. So right now we have, an, again, another pediatric beneficiary that has to go to, is there in New York for treatment. So we're helping with their, get a car there so they can go back and forth from when they're staying to the uh, hospital and just anything medical related. So what is the average cost of, of treatment for an individual in your view, in your experience? We just partnered with that pediatric center in Honolulu to help take on their most in-need pediatric patients. And per their pediatric cancer doctor there, they indicated that's about 30000 a year out of pocket. And then, if it, but that doesn't take into account if 
one parent in two working households has to quit a job to provide full-time care or whatnot. So it could be a little more than that. That's a lot. What are your goals with the foundation? Do you think it will stay solely in Hawaii? Do you think it'll expand outside of? We would like to expand, and it kind of naturally expands itself, I think, because if we take on a beneficiary, then their community, friends, family, and community tends to want to get behind it. And so it has like a ripple effect where it kind of grows from from that naturally. So yeah, we would like to expand it outside of Hawaii. And I think, you know, once we start taking on beneficiaries in other states, it will naturally have that ripple effect to expand, to expand out and then continue doing that as we go. So if you could wave a magic wand, where would UVSC be in five years from now? It would be nationwide and have enough funds in the bank where the interest from those funds cover all the overhead and then continue just the donations just continue to go straight to the mission, which is to help those families fighting cancer with their medical bills and then also providing more support to the best research that we see out there because I think that's very key. Unfortunately, you can't just, you know, to help research such as at UCLA, I don't think you can make a small donation. You got to make you know multiple hundreds of thousands to have any impact at all. So we're finally there and hopefully keep doing that and growing that part of it. So what do you wish that people knew about cancer based on your experience? I think the hope that to fight it, I think some people tend to kind of give up some points because of statistics, but I think you know, statistics don't mean much if you unless you choose to listen to them so i kind of just said not to hell with the statistics i'm not trying my best and i think um you know there's hope out there and there's people to help and i think one of the best things i came across was the live strong foundation has patient navigators that you can call and they'll tell you you know the if you say you won't you're interested in a clinical trial and what, what you have they can recommend the top three or five clinical trials for your situation, and then you just go research those three or five clinical trials versus the thousands that are out there. So it helps quickly narrow your search. Because in my opinion, the first step that you take is is very important because it starts to lead you down a road that you can't start over again a lot. So uh, for me, an example as an example, in order to be even considered for the clinical trial, I had to have surgery where it was offered because they needed to resect as much tumor as possible and save it. So if I hadn't had surgery at UCLA, I wouldn't have even been eligible for the clinical trial I ended up getting in. Unfortunately, some people's symptoms are so far along, they might not have the time to do that research to think about a first step. But I think if you do, um, that's critical. And speaking of resources, you mentioned the Livestrong Foundation. What are some preliminary resources that you would recommend to someone or someone's family member that has just been diagnosed? Well, I think one, you know, that Live Strong Foundation and trying to see if there's any promising clinical trials for your situation out there. And then two, diet. I don't think even my doctors don't talk to me about diet too much, but in my instance, for tumor cancers, you know, avoiding foods that process as glucose or what feeds a tumor. So I eliminate you know, sugar and grain from my diet for about two years. The stage four cancer is so serious, I wanted to throw everything at it. Traditional treatment, I also did diet, and then I did um, alternative 
medicine or supplements. And I worked with a brain cancer nutritionist who provided me science-based nutritional and supplemental advice to take along with the traditional treatment that would either enhance the effects of the traditional treatment or reduce the side effects. And I thought all of that together was probably very helpful. Do you think that that made an impact based on how you felt? Yeah. It reduced the side effects because chemo, you know, and, and radiation, you know, pretty much ravaged me and I was throwing up or having seizures. So I did, I did a bunch of uh, supplements and diet. And then also I did massages and infrared saunas to re- try and reduce those side effects. And they, they all definitely helped. Were you big into anti-inflammatory types of foods like turmeric? Yeah, turmeric, tons of turmeric and melatonin. And I can't even remember all this. I worked with a brain cancer nutritionist named Patrice Surly who prescribed me all kinds of supplements that I took. And it was all, you know, science-based that she had data for and stuff. So I think it was very helpful. What did you learn from your experience with having a glioblastoma, multiforme tumor, brain cancer, that you would want to share with other people that aren't necessarily in the know? Like, what is something that you look back on and you say, wow, I can't believe not enough people know about this particular element? Or because a lot of people don't necessarily understand what brain cancer is, right? And, and people hear about it, but they don't necessarily understand it. There's not a whole lot of funding for it for that very reason. Now that, because I didn't know what it was. And then until I was diagnosed, and now I, have, I think it's more prominent than people think, because I get calls from a lot of people that have it. And I don't think people realize how, you know, the brain is so unknown, and but it controls every part of your body. So, you know, I felt fit. My body was fine. I ate healthy. I was exercising. I, and somehow I get this brain tumor that impacts every part of my body, whether it's, you know, vision or using your right hand or your left hand or walking or talking. And so it's amazing how much the brain controls everything. And so obviously that's our computer that controls everything. So I think more research is needed to figure that out. I think, you know, yeah, not as many people are diagnosed with brain tumor as or brain cancer as other types of cancers, pancreatic cancer or other types, but, you know, it's so lethal and devastating, I think. Hopefully, we can get some more funding for the research to find a cure for it. It's also very hard to treat because there's a blood-brain barrier that you can't get treatment through. Um, but the benefit to that is that can't mist- if it starts in the brain, it can't metastasize out of the brain into other parts of the body. But if it starts in the body, it could potentially metastasize into the brain, um, like one of our first beneficiaries who unfortunately passed. Actually, it was our first beneficiary, metastasized into the brain, but um, brain's a very complicated thing, so more research is definitely needed, and hopefully UVSC can help fund some of that research sooner than later. Is there any sort of discussion or speculation as to why brain cancer is on the rise, or was it that we just didn't know how to diagnose it before? I don't know. I think it's to be more to be revealed in the future. Like I said, I don't think that the doctors don't know what causes brain cancer yet and therefore don't know have a cure for it yet. So I think maybe that's why more research is needed maybe to figure out 
what potentially causes it, and then hopefully thereafter try and find a cure for it. But maybe it's external environmental um, concerns, or there's a lot of theories out there, but I don't think anything based in science is um, known yet. And you're sticking with the science? I feel like it could be some environmental external factors that cause it, but I'm not an expert to know you. I don't think it's hereditary either, but who knows? I mean, environmental toxins and issue are certainly and have significantly been increased over the last, I don't know, decade, maybe the last even few years, right? So I don't want to start a conspiracy theory here, but it's interesting. We know that environmental toxins have been correlated to other types of cancer and fertility and, 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 right? So it would be interesting to find out if there was some sort of correlation to brain cancer specifically, right? One of the things that was really hard for me to, to really process when my dad was sick with brain cancer was how underfunded it actually is and how that there aren't enough research that's happening because it's so expensive and people sort of know and rally around all the of these other types of diseases which are you know just as important of course but they rally around breast cancer prostate cancer all of these other diseases but they don't necessarily rally so much around brain cancer why do you think that is i think the brain is such a mystery and and maybe it's not as visible physically outward as to other people as, you know, yeah. So I don't think you're, the people surrounding you don't see it as visibly as maybe some other type of cancer. So it's, uh, it's not, yeah, it's just not as visible outwardly. But it's definitely more impactful on the people experiencing it, I think. What's one of the greatest personal rewards that you've experienced as a result of founding UVSC? I think it's in addition to saving lives, one particular, and then forming new relationships with the beneficiaries and their families or my doctors or, you know, the movie executives that support my doctor's research or whatever it is. One particular instance that comes to mind most is we have another child beneficiary, a young uh, Hawaiian girl who's diagnosed and, you know, she has Pacific Islanders tend to be pretty big, so she has a big Hawaiian dad, and he'll talk at some of our fundraisers, and he actually tears up with um, kind of like tears of joy, thanking us for you know helping save his daughter's life. And she's doing good now; she's back in school, and so that's very impactful. And there's been other instances like that, but seeing a big masculine Hawaiian man talking and tearing up, thank you for saving his life, is uh, pretty impactful. I can imagine. And what about you in terms of getting a second lease on life? Are there any personal relationships that you maybe took for granted that you're like, wow, these relationships are so meaningful and so important to me? And did you have any of those experiences? Yeah, like I said, the Ohio community, including friends and family, came together to really rally together and help support me when I was first diagnosed. And it's kind of shed light over time. There's, you know, I have very wealthy friends that contributed some money, and then 
you know, not so wealthy friends that contributed some money. And contribution that sticks to my mind is there's one person that's definitely not wealthy, you know, poor, but donated $50. And that meant more to me than some of the wealthier people that donated 5000 or $10,000 because it just uh, was um, not as impactful because I knew they didn't have $50 to donate, really, so. And how has how has all of this changed your relationships? In a general sense, I'm more drawn to people, you know, that are supportive and trustworthy and honest versus, you know, materialistic things. I like to have those good people surrounding me because in the time of health crisis, those are the ones that will support you rather than the ones that may or may not find materialistic things to be the most important. Sure. Jamil, you don't strike me as somebody who was ever materialistic, so it's hard for me to imagine that you had those kind of friends. But if you did, it sounds like they're gone. Yeah, I did go to private high school and pretty good college and et cetera, et cetera. I lived in lavish places from Maui to Malibu to Newport Beach when I met Natalie and then (laughs) back to Maui. you, You tend to get surrounded by People who live in there as you live. But Jamil, I'm not fancy. We just happened to work in a fancy place. Yeah, that's true. We worked at Mercedes-Benz, which was very fancy. So speaking of fancy, you went to Pepperdine and you mentioned that you, while you were at Pepperdine, you dunked on a now famous NBA player. Can you share who that was? He was an NBA player, but he wasn't famous. He, his name was Alex Acker, and he was the last pick in the NBA draft. And I think he only played in the NBA for a couple of years and then is now playing professionally in Europe. I did dunk on him and shower the backboard, which maybe was lucky. I wouldn't be able to do that anymore. I'm old and age and chemo, I'm, I can't even dunk anymore. So that was a one-time deal, but it was, it was memorable. <laughs> I can imagine. So... Are you in Hawaii for the rest of your life? Are you ever coming back to California? No, I'm in Maui for the rest of my life. It's a great place to live. And, you know, I don't want to have to go through taking the bar exam again in another state at all. I can't imagine that was very fun. So one last question. Is there anything that you would like to share with our listeners about something that they should know if they know someone who is battling brain cancer? I think the number one thing is just to surround them with support, whatever it may be, physical, you know, being there for them, maybe financial if you can. Because it's kind of that, during that time, it's, you're, you're questioning yourself. I was young, I was ready for life. And then to get that news, it's not only deflating, it kind of, breaks your confidence so you got to build up their confidence again or help them do that and it takes a long time so i think yeah initially but you know you might not see it outward physically like we talked about but you know i'm 11 years in and i'm just getting back financially to where i want to be so it's kind of like you got to provide that support for an extended period of time that you know gives them the hope to keep fighting and getting back to their, their life financial support is important of course but what kind of support did were you looking for personally? Just being there for them, checking in on them, you know, seeing how they're doing with everything. I think kind of any way you would support a friend in need. 
but it's just a longer duration of time. Right. So it takes a while. But you can't like bring you ice cream, right? Because of the sugar and things like that. So what can somebody send that is appropriate and supportive? It could be something as simple as words, a card with words of encouragement and hope and let them know you're being there for them. It could be certificate to go use for a massage or a, a sauna treatment or healthy food, anything, you know, meals or, you know, coming over. I mean, at, my, at the height of my fight, I was, I was only sleeping three hours a night and I was trying to work and I was, you know, throwing up and having seizures. So maybe it's rides or maybe it's, you know, helping with their house, keeping their house in order. Like I said, food, healthy food, meals or massages when you're on chemo is pretty key to alleviate all the body aches and stuff. But it could be something as simple as, you know, sending a card or making a phone call saying, we're here for you, whatever you need, words of support and encouragement and, you know, hope. Thank you for sharing and thank you for catching up with me today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Over Again podcast. I hope that you learned something from today's episode. If you enjoyed this, please leave a five-star review about All Over Again on Apple Podcasts. Please also let me know what spoke to you about the episode on our social media channels at All Over Again Podcast. I can't wait to hear from you.